Chao. What do you want? It's a podcast to you. Gotta talk about Giallo movies just for you. The only thing I'd like, I'd really like, is to meet you face to face. It'll happen sooner or later, but you don't have to recognize us. Thanks. However, you disappoint me, duck. You throw a challenge my way. I almost forgot the most important part. We go by Creep, Creeperson, and Chris. And this is Chow Chow Chow. Got it. The harbor, a phone booth sitting right near Pier 11. I'll get out the APB. Move, you bastard. Chow Chow, everybody, and welcome to Jello Chow Chow, episode number 54, A Little More Lindsay. Yes. That's what it's called, right? Yes, I... it's it's a one a one, a one a two, a one a dooba dooba dooby doo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so welcome. I'm Creep and this is Chris. Hi. Hi everyone. We're yeah. back. I'm back. We're back with a vengeance. Oh yes. We're back with more Lindsay. I found the sound effects button, everyone. So you know we can't go wrong with this. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> but first, news. Do you like that? That was like a little. Yeah. That was that was that was awesome. That was the. Isn't that the. When when they in the past when people were parody parodying a newscast, it would be like and now the news with Walter Concrete or Concrete. What did I say? Concrete. Concrete. It was like like a freaking telegraph like 
some dude in a little wooden shack in the middle of Iowa is like going, we're being robbed. <laughs> tap, 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 tap. <laughs> so let's hear about this steel box. Oh, this is... Because uh, I got yes. excited about it. Yeah, and I saw your bitch steel box. Yeah, here it is. For those of us, uh, for those of you actually watching the video, um, I have two things to say about it. Number one is that it's fantastically, amazingly, breathtakingly great and brilliant. Number two, um, I haven't watched it yet. So um, I can't really give you a full-blown review. Um, <clears throat> you can see inside the steel box we have the Tenebrae Blu-ray over here. We have the Tenebrae, oh no, I'm sorry. We have the Tenebrae Blu-ray over here. We have the Tenebrae uh, CD, which is the soundtrack. And then back here, we have Tenebrae on DVD, which was um, initially a little bit confusing. Um, I just assumed that it was going to be a Blu-ray and then a DVD of extras. But in fact, the extras are Blu-ray extras. So um, the awesome documentary which I got about a third of the way through called uh, Yellow Fever, The Rise and Fall of the Giallo, um, is on the bon is, is a bonus um, information, but it's on the Blu-ray. So I think the DVD is really just a DVD version of their Tenebrae transfer. Um, I guess for people who... I'm not sure why they do this now. I haven't bought a lot of Blu-rays recently, but every time I buy one and it's like some sort of special edition. It comes with the Blu-ray and a DVD. I guess it's so that the people who don't have Blu-ray players don't feel left out of whatever this latest version is um, so they can still play it. I, I had the worst time with Blu-ray players because I bought one when the format first came out, and the Blu-ray player that I had, you'd put the disc in, and it would take like 20 minutes to load up, and then sometimes it would never load, depending on if the, the Blu-ray disc was manufactured after the time when the Blu-ray player was put out, then some of the discs wouldn't even load at all. And I know there was <clears throat> a way to update the firmware on the Blu-ray players, but this particular player didn't have any of that. And when I initially bought a Blu-ray player, I bought it with all of the analog video outputs because I had an old TV. Um, so <clears throat> within the last, excuse me, within the last month or so, I bought another one for like 60 bucks that just has an HDMI plug on the back, and it's fantastic. You put the Blu-ray in, and it loads up in two seconds, and everything works. So um, I was able to um, use that for this, and um, I put the <clears throat> I did put the, the, the Blu-ray copy of the film in and, and watch the first few scenes, and it's almost, it's almost too good looking it's like the i mean i know this is a 1980s movie so we don't have as much of a problem with film grain and 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 restoration of a, a movie that really shouldn't be restored that much but um it almost looked 3d the scene where uh, peter neal gets to the airport and he arrives on his bike and then um he he walks with the porter with all of his luggage and almost gets hit by a bus 
as he's walking into JFK, that scene, it looked like it was popping out of my screen. It was insane. Um, so I can't wait to watch the rest of it because um, I'm interested to see if the, if the cleaned up version of this will reveal anything that, you know, you never saw before and maybe things that they, the director didn't want you to see, but we'll see. Cause we'll, we'll see when I eventually get a chance to watch it. I've been uh, pretty busy with other stuff. And so this was not tops on my list to watch. Um, because I wanted to watch the films for um, this podcast. But like I said, I did um, put in the documentary, and that was actually what I went to first, believe it or not, because I'd seen Tenebrae a million times. But um, I put the documentary in, and it's really well done. It's got um, our buddy, uh, Mikhail Coven. He's got a lot of screen time on this because he's a pretty authoritative figure in Jolly, uh, as well as Maitland McDonough, who did a bunch of Argento books. I mean, the documentary is supposed to kind of emphasize Argento because this is an Argento release, but they started out with, you know, the, the history of the Giallo and the, the Mondadori books and um, the girl who knew too much and blood and black lace. And then they started talking about Argento and that's as far as I got with it, but they did talk about Lindsay as well before the Argento stuff came out. And there's a clip of Lindsay saying it's all bullshit. <laughs> Argento did not invent the genre. I invented the genre. Fuck off. It's all me. I'm the greatest. Um, I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said it in Italian, but I think that's exactly what, what it came down to. Um, well, one of my other... adult gas stations were really popular in the 80s. <laughs> um, one of the things I do like about this, and I haven't tried it, but it's a very geeky thing, is what they did on this was in certain spots of the film, um, when it was exported for an international audience, they replaced the original footage of whatever was in Italian with like a US or an English version or whatever language it was. So for example, in the opening scene, the glove, oh, did I just, oh geez, hang on, you there? Okay, I pushed a button. Um, in the opening scene, they show the, the the book being read and the black glove finger going across the book. And the original version, the book is in the Italian language. But they have this new feature now where you can watch it, where all of the English versions of whatever they cut in throughout the film get spliced in um, seamlessly. Um, and I guess, I haven't watched this yet. I don't know if there's any kind of visual indicator that, hey, it's coming up and you're watching a, a, a spliced in version. But um, I don't know, like I said, it's, very, it's a very geeky academic kind of thing. Like, hey, this is cool. I get to watch the full Italian version of this without any international kind of interference. Or I could watch the one with the international stuff that's dumped in. Again, I don't know really why you'd want to do that other than just for the fun of it. But if you're really into this film, it's kind of a cool feature. So, um, um, Real quick, just for the live viewers right now, if you guys want to ask questions or communicate with us during the show, if you go to the Q&A button or tab, you can ask away. That's it. Continue. All right, very good, very good uh, advice for those who are watching. 
<laughs> but that's uh, so that's I mean I can't really give you a full review I didn't watch the video I didn't finish the documentary so we'll try to do that next time I'll uh, give you a part two not that this wasn't long enough cool that's what you said <laughs> um, let me see and then um, thank you there it is it comes a little late oh I was gonna say I don't like it when um, they put CDs in with the DVD. I don't know why that annoys me, but like I never think to listen to a CD when it's in a DVD case. And I have yeah. a bunch of movies done that, and I just never listen to them. So I just like pull them out, rip them, and then that's it. Yeah, you know, I, I, like, I totally agree. I totally agree because I have the Suspiria box. It's a three disc set, and one of them is the soundtrack, and I don't think I've listened to it once. Because like you said, um, you pull the DVD out to watch it. When you want to watch the film, you forget yeah. that there's anything else in there. I think I have Fulci's The Beyond that way. <clears throat> and maybe, um, no, I was going to say Deep Red, but not Deep Red. Anyway, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's weird. Um, and someone got an Oscar. Yes, the maestro, Mr. Morricone. That was was that the I actually fell asleep before that award was um, presented when the when the Oscars were 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 happening, but um, I, I really I mean, do you feel like anybody else was going to get that Oscar? I mean, I didn't think he was going to win. You didn't think so, really? No, I just I thought it was like one of those things. But I mean, I guess this was the year that. Like they just felt sorry for all the people they fucked over in past years. Well, you know? they do that every year. There's always somebody that gets that gets picked but because it seemed, like, it seemed like there was more. If I recall, there was more this time. Let's see who was there. There was DiCaprio, Morricone, and who else? Um, I don't know. Like Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone didn't get that Best Supporting Actor thing like he did with the Golden Globes. Um, but you know, that Mad Max film got all the technical awards. And I think that was because everybody knew that once they got to the script and the director and the actors and the best picture that nobody was going to vote for Mad Max at all. Um, the other thing I found interesting was that Star Wars, the new Star Wars had a bunch of nominations, but there was no hope for that thing winning any awards specifically because the studio refused to send out screeners to the Academy to, to watch because they were afraid of bootlegs. So that so how did it even get nominated? It got nominated, but um, I don't know. I mean, the Academy has to nominate too, right? So I guess there was enough people nominating Star Wars in certain um, aspects. Like I think, you know, I think it got nominated for best original score, John Williams, and it probably got some visual effects uh, nods. Um, but when that film came out, um, all the other films were being um, considered 
and they would send out screeners to all the academy people yeah. and they didn't do that for star wars because they were afraid that it would go up on the on the the, the bit torrents which all the other films did anyway so I mean, they—that was—that's exactly what was going to happen. But you know, so I don't think the Star Wars people really cared that much about getting Oscars. They just cared about you know making as much money off the film as they could, which I was mean, smart. They make probably more money off of all the shit they have in Target and Kmart and Walmart right now than they do on the fucking movie. So, yeah. <laughs> um, what was that other thing I was going to ask you about? But I mean, yeah. To, to end to end that discussion, I think that Morricone falls into that category of there's no possible way, or not no possible way, but it's very, very, very rare that this man who has done this much for film music at this particular age is ever going to be up here again. Yeah. And so I think that's why he got it. And and you know because Hateful Eight didn't get really any other. Um, any other love at the Oscars anyway. So. I don't think the score was anything near the best thing he's done. No. By any means, you know? No, which is why I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's one of those lifetime achievement awards in disguise of a, a yeah. current topical award. Cause he already got some sort of Academy award for a lifetime achievement, like a couple of years ago. So, but Anyway, listen. We love we love him. We love listening to yeah. his soundtracks, and uh, we're glad that uh, you know Italy is getting uh, some mainstream recognition as it should, because uh, we've been singing his praises and the praises of his contemporaries for many many podcast episodes. So, agreed. So, what's next on the docket? <laughs> um you want to talk about well i went to see psycho uh in the theater that was fun um, i won't yeah. spend too much time talking about it but uh i spent the day at work watching the documentary of the making of psycho so i really had a lot of the behind the scenes stuff in my head when I went to go watch it, which was really cool. Um, and I had a few things that I thought were interesting, but now I can't remember any of what they were. I just like the, the whole, the whole way Hitchcock promoted the film by telling people that they couldn't go to see it after it started. And, um, all this other, all this, all these Everything other kind of the way that movie came together was genius. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's, amazing the the guy who wrote the script they interviewed him a lot and i think one of the guys who i guess was either the assistant director or one of the producers they interviewed him and, and there was a lot of there's a lot of information oh i know what it was there's a scene where they're zooming out from marion crane's eyeball after she gets stabbed and you can see her throat bubble for a second when she takes a breath and i had never noticed that before and apparently Every single person who had watched the film didn't notice it until it got to be like the final print. And somebody said, hey, did you see? She took a breath. And so apparently they cut in another shot of the a profile or a side shot of the shower head with the water coming out right at that moment. So that to interrupt um, to interrupt the, the shot for a minute or two to, to disguise that. But once they showed it, I can't help but ever, ever not see it now when I watch it. But uh, 
Yeah, it was fun. There's there's a there's a um, a movie theater in in downtown Philadelphia that was purchased by um, an organization, a nonprofit film organization, and revamped and um, digitized for the you know the, the the ticketing system. And it was you know it, it, they brought in a whole bunch of films from uh, private donors and and various. Um, various uh production houses and this particular copy i mean the film is like 50 something years old and it looked amazing it looked absolutely like flawless uh, so it was it was beautiful it was a beautiful print i mean you know the the problem is that i had to spend probably four to five hours on either you know in total uh waiting time and transit time just to see the film and it's hard to say whether it was truly worth it because I had to work, I had to basically the I'm done working in the city by 4:30, and the film didn't start till eight. So it was like okay, um, and then when the film was over, I had another hour to wait before the train came to take me home. So I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to do this again. Really depends on the film. <laughs> so, but it was fun. It was it was cool. But uh, I don't know, man. Gotta you gotta suffer for your art, I guess sometimes. So have you seen, um, I don't know, I guess it's called Hitch or Hitchcock or something that, mm -hmm. um, biopic where Anthony Hopkins played Hitchcock. Oh, I heard of it. It was so fucking good. Dude. Is it, was it about a year or so old? It's not too old, right? It's like maybe two or three years old. Cool. It's fucking like, if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch, dude. It's, it's about what was going on with them during the making of Psycho and stuff. Oh, cool! And we're not talking. So we're not good. talking about the Will Smith movie. Not no, not the Will Smith movie Hitch. Okay, <laughs> that's a different one. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really worth a watch for sure. Okay, we'll check it out. All right. Well, um, there's absolutely dick going on in my life at the moment. I had the um, the parents-in-law over from the UK for about ten days. Nice. That was amazing. Just we had a lot of fun. But um, other than that, I have done absolutely nothing. So um, I'm ready to get into these two different places mm. to kill. One of them's quiet, and one of them is ideal. Yep. <clears throat> and one of them's paranoia for the second week or the second <laughs> show in a row. And one of them is an oasis or dirty pictures. I think dirty pictures is such a good fucking title yeah. for that. Like, I can't believe that didn't get a bigger, like, ah, uh, that's just a great title. Yeah. Anyway. It's a an oasis of fear. I really didn't understand why or what that title had anything to do with until I watched it and, and f fully watched the film and got to the point where she says, Oh, we found an oasis, you know? So they we actually mentioned all it. the Arabs. If this is an oasis. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Great. One. Well, we'll talk about that later. Okay. So, um, I'll jump right in. Is this where uh, the song starts? Yes, and I need to say that you, you represent all the things I dislike in a man. You represent all the things I dislike in a man. 
Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to be quiet. At least, at least that's taken care of. I don't have to worry about weird comings on. <laughs> All righty. Um, so, this okay, one thing that really confusing about this, maybe you could help me with this. When this movie started, I, I'm I'm doing um, a Quiet Place to Kill, aka Paranoia. Okay, so not to be I confused with the other Paranoia that yeah, we covered last which time, which is also called Orgasmo. <laughs> so it's so stupid because it's really not that confusing, but somehow when I start talking about it, it becomes a total clusterfuck. But um, when this movie starts and the opening with all that reverse negative fucking shit, it's really fucking cool. But I was totally confused because I could have sworn the last time I saw this movie, it opened up with Carol Baker and Jean Sauron making out on a beach for the whole credit sequence. Was that a different movie that we have already got on the show? No, we, I don't think so, because I don't remember us doing. There's another Carol Baker, Jean Sorel movie called The Sweet Body of Deborah. Oh, I bet that's what it is. You but know, we never I watched that not too long ago, so okay. that's probably what it was. We never, because we never covered that one, but it's, it's, it's not a Lindsay film, but it's those two actors. Yeah. Okay, that's probably what that was. Okay, so anyway, we're back to this now. Um, <clears throat> And basically what this movie is about is Carol Baker being Carol Baker at her absolute Carol Baker yeariest. And um, she's a fucking race car driver, like a fucking Formula One driver, like not even like a fucking NASCAR driver, like an actual like fucking IndyCar driver. And she's doing like some time test or some stupid shit. And it looked like she was really driving it for a minute. So that's just shocking to me on a whole other level. <laughs> but um, she has this weird flashback of seeing this man and loses control of the car somehow and crashes and the car catches on fire and all this shit. They rush her to a hospital. And then there's this great fucking scene where um, it's like her point of view looking up at the surgeons and they all have their little masks on. And this one surgeon walks up with like a handful of scissors and they're like putting their hands out. And he's like, here you go, here you go, here you go. Here you go. And he's just handing scissors to all these fucking doctors. And apparently she had all this fucking work done to her. And then like a minute and a half later, she's like, oh, I feel better. I got a bruise, but I'm okay. I'm going to put on these pants and make my butt look really frumpy. And I'm going to leave with this dude. And so when she's leaving, you find out that she's broke. She trashed the car. She has to pay for the car as well. She's all freaked out about money. And then she reads this telegram saying, hey, come to my fucking villa and relax for a little bit. Signed, some dude's name I can't remember. And who just happens to be her ex-husband, who is 
John Sorrell. Is that his last name, Sorrell? I always want to call him Yeah, because it it sounds like it should be French. Because uh, he was French, but it's yeah, it sounds like Sorrell. But his his character was his character <clears throat> his character's name was um, what the hell was his name? Maurice. Maurice, fucking hell, dude. I, I didn't did. remember. So, I didn't remember that either. I had to look it up. Like, Maurice, I wanted to call him Michael. So basically, she says she's not going to go, whatever. And then when her driver slash lover slash race car driving coach or whatever pulls over to run into a store real quick to get some whiskey, she decides she's going to steal his car and drive up to fucking wherever the hell this is. And I think it's in... um, Fuck. Mallorca? Mallorca, yeah. Um, so anyway, so she gets there, finds his old haggard wife to her surprise, and then finds out that not only is he still super hot getting massaged in the backyard, but he wasn't the one who sent for her, but it was his wife. And then through another flashback, we see that the last time they spoke, she tried to kill him by trying to shoot him. So the plot starts to get a little thick and um, you don't know what the hell's going on, why she's there in the first place. There's a fucking doctor, a judge. They have like the coolest friends in the world. They're super rich. Everything's great. But then like, it seems like Maurice is trying to get um, Carol Baker, who is Hannah in this movie, to come up with some plot with him but then at the same time his old haggard wife Broomhilda or whatever her fucking name is <laughs> Constance Constance that's right um, she's like hey he's a dick and he was a dick to you you tried to kill him before help me kill him again and I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars I already paid off all your bills here's a bunch of smoking ass clothes let's <laughs> fucking do some shit or whatever. So now, Carol Baker, trying to act as hard as she can, has to decide whose side she's going to take here. And then, the shit hits the fan. They're out on the boat. She goes to kill Maurice, but she couldn't do it. And then Constance grabbed her, and there's this fight on the boat. And then Maurice stabs Constance. (gasps) But wait, one of their friends is coming over in their giant fucking yacht too. So they got to come up with a way to get rid of the body really fucking quick. And this is really exciting and shit. I'm not like making this sound stupid or nothing. You're at the edge of your seat when this is happening. And they somehow rigged it to where she was tied up with an anchor and the mass comes over or whatever and hits her. She falls in the water, the boat flips over and all this other shit. And then you think everything's cool and like, Hey, it was an accident, you know, what the fuck. But then you find out, this other fucking creepy doctor guy who's been running around chasing all the girls with a camera the whole time, like a video camera, <laughs> was up on a fucking hill at this exact moment. <clears throat> to fucking take a movie of them fucking killing the chick and throwing her off the side of the boat and trying to cover it up and make it look like an accident. So, while all this is going on, Maurice is like, oh yeah, bitch, you were gonna kill me. What the fuck? 
and he starts like hitting her and then he's like but we might as well just screw instead so all the shit's going on and then just when you think it can't get any more fucked up um constance's teenage slash maybe a little older daughter shows up and she thinks something ain't stern in the kool-aid she thinks that somebody tried to kill her mama and those somebodies are those two people who were still living in the house bumping uglies so she's causing uh, all sorts of shit and like wearing homegirls clothes showing up in weird orange hats at the fucking place where your film gets brought in and all this other fucking shit <laughs> and then she just fucking puts it on they start freaking bumping uglies and then yet again in another movie carol baker walks in on people doing it when she shouldn't have been there and then she gets all mad so nobody knows whose allegiances are anywhere now and there's still this movie that's coming this film that's coming that might say if it was an accident or not so it's just super fucking hardcore and awesome and i don't know if i should go any further um but there's just so many things about this movie that i like none of them are carol baker's acting <laughs> I, I like her face and her hair and I even like her voice that is on all these movies but it's just like everything is so forced and another thing to put on that list of things Carol Baker doesn't know how the fuck to do we had kissing and dancing she still doesn't know how to kiss she still doesn't know how to dance right. and obviously she doesn't know how to perform CPR either no uh, the first time she put her mouth on him and she's like sucking all the air out of him and then just kind of rubbing his chest. I'm like, she's doing this all yeah. wrong, I think. <laughs> I so you're supposed I to blow how... air into him, right? Yeah. You're <laughs> out again. I mean, maybe you can do it like that. I don't fucking know. But I guess, you um, know, I start to wonder like, well, what happened when they were filming this? Did they coach her and say, okay, you're going to pretend to do CPR. Just go ahead and do it. And they didn't just... They didn't tell her how to do it, and she just improvised. I just wondered if when they knew how to do it, and she's like, "No, no, I got this. I know how to do this. <laughs> I'm from America. I know how to do this." <laughs> and then she, like, okay, like I mean, because like we didn't have all the shows that I mean, just think of all the things we've seen where people do CPR, right? You know, like in 1971 or whenever this was. I'm sure there wasn't like a slew of medical shows and cop dramas where motherfuckers are doing CPR every five minutes. Right. But um, I don't know. Well, but it's, it's just it's like quite possible that the rise in popularity of the proper way of doing CPR came as a reaction to the fact that people didn't know what to do. And every once in a while they'd see somebody do it in a movie and it's all wrong. So Dude, I like, wonder how many people died because someone watched Carol Baker perform CPR and like, hey, wait, I got this guys. I saw how it's done here. I'm just going to rub you a little bit and start French kissing you and sucking on your mouth. They should be up in no time. Oh, it's so bad. She's, she's so awful, but I love her so much. It's like, I don't even know. Like she's horrendous. And then plus I thought those like, green corduroy pants when she was wearing those i'm like dude her ass got fucking huge yeah but then when her, the daughter had on that outfit and was like pretending to be her her ass looked huge right so i've come to the conclusion through 
studious deduction that it's, it's the, pants. the pants, not the ass that was fucking huge. But I mean, the fashion in this movie is so like amazing. Like every fucking goddamn thing she wears in this is so outrageous. <laughs> Down to that shiny leather fucking hat yeah. she had on, like, the little derby thing. It was just like, Driving if, the, if uh, you're into like late '60s fashion, this is just like a full-on clothes porn movie. It's so amazing in this, and then I don't know if you noticed this, but they're at the pool. Okay, swimming at the pool. The doctor's running around with the camera. And then for no reason, there's some dude with a beard and an eye patch just sitting at a table. Oh, yeah. Drinking some or whatever with no <laughs> shirt on. And I'm like, where is this that, like, spy villains, like, hang out and just fucking chill? And then some chick swimming with, like, a flowered, like, total flowered um, bathing cap. The girl that was always with the judge and the doctor. It was just like, and all the guys' bathing suits, everything in this movie was so fucking kitsch and amazing. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was the, way over the top. Like, like this little, like, almost utopian society of people who are, like, beyond just, like, privileged and wealthy. Like, they just live in this in this world where they have, their, their biggest decision of the day is whether to, to go cave exploring or play chess or shoot birds that, that come out of the ground and trap doors like that's all they ever have to worry about amazing. yeah and the coolest thing is there was this old man um sitting by the pool and he's like this place is going to hell in a handbasket <laughs> and like i watch um the only way is essex um or towie for those of you in the know it's a reality show that takes place in the UK, which is just utterly fantastic. But they go to like Marbs and Ibiza and um, I don't know if they went to Majorca, but I think on the Inbetweeners movie, they were in Majorca. But anyway, it's just so funny because like those places are like total like cesspool party towns now. Mm. And to see an old man in the early 70s go, man, this place has gone to shit. Like, if he was alive now, he would be fucking, like, rolling in his grave or helping yeah, the fuck that he'd be guy. wishing for Carol Baker and Jean Sorel to come back. Oh, my God. Um, so, as the movie goes, the girl, the daughter wants them to drag the water more and find the mom. And there's this super suspenseful scene where... He's out on the boat with the judge and this fishing boat's pulling up a line and then they pull up this thing and the girl's like screaming and they pull up what looks like a fucking body right. and the judge no it's just a log covered in seaweed don't worry about it <laughs> and I'm like oh I think that's a body like, yeah just regardless. double check will you yeah that's very body shaped but um, <laughs> so there were there were just a lot of really good suspenseful scenes, and then the big I don't want to say twist because I don't know if it was necessarily a twist, but then what happens at the end um, where the judge shows up at the tower and there's blood. He heard a gunshot. Um, Maurice is missing, and he saw um, Hannah drive off in the car. 
So he goes back to the house and finds her there and puts her under surveillance, has like guards, like they won't let her out. And then we find out that the daughter dressed up as her and went there. And I could have sworn she said she killed Maurice. But that was probably just a thing to fuck with her head. So then all of a sudden she finds a way to get away. She gets away. Maurice calls the house and he's like, hey, what's going on? I just, you know, shot myself in the hand or something because I'm a fucking idiot. I don't even remember what the fuck he did. But anyway, so then he goes and all fucking like Miss Ward style stands in the middle of the road just as she's coming around a corner. Right. And he knew deep down inside she wouldn't run him over because she was a race car driver. And before that, she was something else. And before that, she was something else. And just in the last three years, she's had like eight different professions and then just happened to fall into race car driver, as one would. <laughs> and um, so she goes off a cliff and dies. And then Maurice and fucking the daughter are like, yeah, now we could like bump uglies all the time. This is great. And she's like, yeah, or else I'll just kill you. And he's like, oh, that came out a little weird and then they find the body in the water of the mom so now he's gonna get fucked anyway and the little girl is either gonna have all the money or Maurice is gonna rat her out it was just like I know I just completely spoiled this movie for you but it's just like boom 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 and me this movie doesn't ever stop and it's like so like fast paced and there's always some crazy shit happening and someone's freaking out about something somebody suspects somebody it's just oh it's just so enjoyable this movie is really 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 good the ending's great oh and then her bedroom I didn't even get to talk about the room Carol Baker stays in. She's got this round bed with this crazy furry, like bearskin, like comforter duvet thing on it. <laughs> and the bed's round and it like fits in this like hole. And then there's like this raised level with like a couch and all this other shit. It's just like, man, if I had a room, it would be like this. The thing that drives me crazy is that this house is like so modern but so much shit in it is that baroque fucking ugly ass shit that I hate. Yeah. So that was really difficult for me in that sense. But other than that, dude, holy fucking hell, dude. Carol Baker has amazing outfits this whole fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And even Maurice looks pretty cool in some of his V-neck sweaters. But you never yeah. heard me say that. He looks okay? great. He's He's like the... He's like the uh, the male lead, um, who kind of it, he he kind of comes in uh, as this this being the third attempt at a Lindsay film, with you know the the kind of the the you know the triangle of of characters, and he's kind of like let me show you how it's done. Let me show you how to be the you know the the the, the guy in this in this scenario because the guy who played. Um, <clears throat> The guy who played Peter in Orgasmo was awful, and the guy who played Jean in So Sweet, So Perverse was kind of like, whatever. Um, and when we get yeah. to Oasis of Fear, the guy who plays Dick is like, his, his name is Dick for Jesus a reason. Christ. We'll um, talk about that in a minute. But, but Maurice and Jean Sorel is really good. I like watching him. 
Um, he just has these looks on his face like, you know, I, I'm so good looking, I can't even stand myself. You know, that's kind of like... What happened to him? Uh, like, where did he go? He's did still he around. Like more... Yeah, he did He did a lot of TV, I think. He almost looks like uh, an American act. He's got the face now as an older guy who resembles um, an American actor, and I can't remember the guy's name. But um, I think he did, he's still around. He did a lot of TV. He was in Perversion Story. And did we do another movie with him? Uh, no, but he is... I believe he's in A Short Night of Glass Dolls with a mustache. But we haven't done that one yet. Would you say he has a short mustache? A Short Night of Glass mustaches. He's, oh, he's, he's, in, <laughs> he's in Short Night of Glass Dolls, but he has a mustache. So it doesn't. you don't immediately think of him because... Typically, when you think of his face, you think of him without the mustache. So, at least I do. But um, no, he was in. He was in. Um, wasn't he in Lizard in a Woman's Skin? Yes, yes, he was. Wasn't he? Perfect. Okay, dude, that was freaking me out. I couldn't think of it. All right. Um, and then he's in Body of Deborah too. So yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's just like I didn't really like him that much in Perversion Story but I fucking love him in this movie. Yeah. I just, I don't know what it is. He's just like the coolest fucking dude in the goddamn world. And but, like the other thing, dude, people fucking throw cigarettes around in this movie. Like <laughs> they don't matter. It drives me fucking crazy. Like they'll <laughs> light a cigarette or they'll like when she's like, Oh, I can't smoke. She kept picking up cigarettes and throwing them out the window. <laughs> and like, he would like, light a cigarette, take a hit off of it and then smash it into something. Yeah. It's just, and there's packs everywhere. Yeah. That was so cool. Like every room had its own, like five or six packs of cigarettes. And you can just walk by and grab a pack. Oh, here are the cigarettes for this room. I'm going to smoke one hit off of this and then smash it. Fuck up. I don't know, dude. This movie is just so fucking cool. Like, yeah, I mean, this is just I that was really like, like it, this if, movie. If you re, if you think about the you know the 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 culture and the attitude towards cigarettes in those days, and then kind of combine that with um, the fact that they were supposed to be well, well, well off, you know, it was just like you know, cigarettes are completely disposable at for you know. For, for your pleasure, whenever you need one, just you know, walk and walk five paces, and here's another twenty thousand of them. You can just grab one. But well, they were a lot cheaper back then because there weren't taxes on everything, right? So they weren't really that expensive, and I don't know what the fuck they cost in Italy and Majorca and all this other fucking shit. But um, I'm assuming worldwide, they really weren't that expensive comparatively especially to today so yeah i don't know i mean i remember seeing i remember interestingly enough seeing i think it was in um Le orme footprints on the moon uh the main character had a pack of dunhills which i remember as being very expensive cigarettes um they Those come are in, the... they're like wrapped in separate packs of 10 or something yeah but those are from from england i think the dunhills so, yeah, but, but I need a little bit of explanation because, and I'm glad that you, you took paranoia and not me, um, because I watched it, um, several weeks ago. I watched it right after we did the other two that we covered last time. I went right into the third one and I haven't watched it since. So there's a few details about the plot that I forget, but, um, Hit me. 
what I don't re- what I don't remember there was something about I know there was there was one thing that was cool about the fact that when they finally watched the video you could see that they pretended to make the dead body of Jean's wife wave right somebody was holding her hand and ho- like they were doing like a weekend at Bernie's kind of thing with with uh, with um, Constance, but then later on, at the very end, when they pull up the body, I think the assumption was that they were expecting to pull out the body of somebody else. But then once it turned out to be a female, then they realized that they that they were incriminated. But I I maybe I just read that somewhere. I'm not sure. Did that did that sound right? Were they was there somebody else that they thought that they were going to find in the or what, did they think they're going to find Carol Baker in the ocean? No, because she just had a car crash. Right? Yeah, but that car crash was that car going over the cliff, which is really well filmed. Like you could tell that Lindsay wanted to do this, and he took that he took that Stingray silver Stingray Corvette and just threw oh. it over a huge cliff, <laughs> and it just it was like. You know, it flipped over a million times and came down. Like I think they probably put all the money in the budget into doing that. Um, yeah, he likes he likes driving cars off a of cliff. That's for sure. Well, and there was a lot of the uh, there was a lot of car racing in this one. You know, she was a car racer, and then you know they're they're traveling down these crazy um, switchbacks in Majorca, and she's driving at these crazy speeds and whatnot. Um, but so so um, John and. John's character Maurice and his wife Constance, but then the daughter. Like I'm trying to understand what the relationship was. Did she decide to go off with him after she got there and realized that her mother, uh, that her mother was dead, or was she in it the whole time? Like was she? The first night Carol Baker's there, they're having champagne out by the pool or whatever, and the mom gets a phone call from the daughter. Okay. And she's like yelling at her saying, you can't see him anymore. Blah, 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 blah. You have to break it off and all this other shit. Then when the girl tells Carol Baker that she dressed up like her and did all that shit, she's like, oh, your mother was about Maurice. Maurice is the man she doesn't want you to see anymore. Da, 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 da. So the way Carol Baker accused her of being with Maurice prior to this whole thing kind of paints a picture that she was kind of in on it from the beginning. Mm. Well, I don't okay. know how you'd be able to prove that. Like if Maurice gets busted for the girl having the anchor tied around her ankles. Like, I don't know how they would be able to prove that the daughter had anything to do with it without him just, like, trying to throw her under the bus. Right. Yeah. And then the thing with the I have to go back and watch that again, because I I lost that part of those details of the script. I don't know if you saw it, but um, he must have cut the part of the film off that showed them like killing her or something like that because later he was watching the little clip on its own and the guy called and he's like hey I think some of the film's missing was there anything else in that bag that you got and he's like nope that was it and he's like burning it when the girl Mm. comes in right 
Yep, I remember that part too. Okay. So there was, was more to there was more to the, the film, but they didn't actually show it. It kind of when they were previewing the film, it got cut off or something, right? <clears throat> yeah, because he took it in like a dark room or something at the post office, and then when he came out, he's like, "No one will ever see what happened on that video or on right. that film or what." So good stuff. Two thumbs up. Yeah, I liked it too. I think out I'm of all, be- out of all three of them, um, this one's definitely my favorite. Um, yeah. I just like I said, I I um, I think the combination of uh, and the soundtrack's really good. Um, the, um, the the characters are are well done, but there's a lot of action. There's a lot of things to to watch and and look at and and keep your interest. Um, I like the locations in the set. I just like the the exotic location. So, I mean, I think this is kind of like the, the best of the first two pushed together because you've got, you know, in Orgasmo, you have this kind of thing where they're all just in a house, but it's just the three of them and they really don't interact with anybody else for the majority of the movie. And it starts to get a little tedious after a while. And then in... Yeah so sweet so perverse it's more of an urban kind of environment where there's more people going uh getting involved but it moves really really slow um and now in this one it's kind of the best of both worlds so you have these three people who and then eventually the the constance character is replaced by her daughter so it's still another three people in a triangle but um, you have these incredible locations and there's these other ancillary characters that get involved and they have these little montages where, um, you know, uh, Maurice is playing chess with somebody or they're, they're like I said, they're cave exploring or, I, and I had no idea that, you know, when they did skeet shooting, they actually had real live birds that they just had trapped underground and they opened a trap door and the birds would fly out. I had no idea that that happened. I don't think you could get away with doing that today because um, it's like animal cruelty or something but um, it just goes Lucky to show boy. you like how like how just um, aristocratic everything was back then it was you know the privileged rich people kind of didn't really care about you know what was happening um, I think it's great to watch them in order like this because the progression is obvious and it's when when you watch all three of them back to back, you can appreciate the first two more. Yeah. But then when you get to this third one, it's like fucking wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's like fucking just, I fucking love this movie. So. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely the best of the three. And uh, just in case you would think that the fourth one would even get better. uh, It doesn't. So, um, Maybe that'll be our 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 non our our, our non uh, a segue that's not so subtle. It's just hey, let's segue into the next movie and let me tell you right that's off the a bat, good segue, dude. that it's not really as good. <laughs> did we lose you or did I? No, I just I muted my or I turned off my camera. You turned so your camera off. Okay, cool. Um, just for a minute, so catch up. Cool. So, <clears throat> yeah. 
so well that I mean officially Lindsay considered that to be a trilogy so um, I tried to do as much research on this next film as I could uh, the Oasis of Fear uh, also known by its original title an ideal place to kill which makes things even more confusing for us historians who are trying to go back and figure out which one of these films is which and which came first and which came second um, because in order to give the film a title that would be unique so when Lindsay put out paranoia which is the film that creep just covered in order to distribute it in the u.s they had to give it a, a different name because orgasmo was already called paranoia when it came out so paranoia was released as a quiet place to kill in the united states so then Lindsay puts out another film and calls it an ideal place to kill him. Um, but it also has two other titles that were released in the States, Dirty Pictures and Oasis of Fear. <clears throat> and so this is Lindsay's fourth uh, sexy thriller. And it really does still follow the same pattern. Um, it doesn't have Carol Baker in it. Um, so uh, that part is, is not there. But it opens up with the same kind of theme song that is kind of the signature song that represents the movie. That And that song will have its melody kind of repurposed and replayed and um, over and over again in different variations throughout the, uh, the film. But it opens up with this uh, song um, called How Could You, How Can You Live Your Life? And the question is, how can you live your life if people won't let you live it the way you like? How can you live your life if people won't let you live it the way you like? My little spirit, baby, so you'll never be free. How can you live your life if people Which is really a ridiculously terrible run-on sentence type question um and it begs it begs to be an analyzed as you know somebody probably wrote this uh whose language whose first language is not english uh, if you listen to the song and if you listen to the way it's being sung it doesn't even sound like some of the words make sense um and i think that they're saying my desperate baby i think that's what they're saying and you'll never be free um later on in the film the same song is sung again this time with a female singer and it's even harder to understand what they're saying but again the film uh, or the song is sung and in, in written in english But it's basically the same idea, and if you, if you kind of, um, if you think about it, when they released these films and all of these the Lindsay films that came out have this starting song, and I think the idea was that if the film um, had a catchy song um, that became some sort of an international success, that they could make some money off of the theme of the song, even if the movie didn't do very well, they had another kind of money grabber. Um, and so that's why they made these songs as popular as they did. So you had that that um, 
that one song that we featured where they were dancing, or the, you know, the song that they played um, over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, anytime. That's what it was. Anytime song. So that song was in Orgasmo, but it was also in Paranoia. They they danced to it again uh, when they went out to the disco, and in So Still Sweet. Cool. What's that? We still can't dance. No, she still can't. But it's a great song. And uh, I really like um, how Lindsay orchestrates all of his kind of dance club scenes because they're all really well done. Um, even as, and, and probably my favorite part of this next film is that dance club scene where um, it looks like Questlove is making an appearance at one point. Um, I don't know if you guys, no, guys noticed that one. Um, yeah. But uh, at any rate, the other theme song from, there's a theme song from Orgasmo, which is uh, the stage was set the night we met. I forget what it's called, for fate had planned it so, or something like that. And then in So Sweet, So Dead was of course the why, why? you know. Yeah. So uh, this song has got more of a kind of Beatles meets the birds, meets the yard birds kind of twangy guitar type thing which is supposed to kind of give you, uh, a, a set the mood really for the first act of this movie, um, which is basically following these two kind of hippie um, people who are basically kind of dropping out of society and deciding to go and, and living their life, you know, the way that the, the song tells them to. But at any rate, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the, 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 the film is called um, an ideal place to kill. Uh, again, it was Lindsay's fourth in a row of these uh, sexy thrillers. Came out in August of 1971 and eventually was released in various other countries. Uh, it stars Ray Lovelock, who apparently was in a few other movies um, and was pretty popular as a some sort of a British actor, but I don't know or remember what it said about what he was in. Um, hey, he's only British from the waist up. <clears throat> That's right. That's right. Keep that in mind. I remember that. Um, and then there's Ornella Muti, who plays Ingrid. Um, and she's his kind of love interest slash partner in crime slash uh, Bonnie to his Clyde kind of thing. Um, and what's interesting about her is that she was 16 when this movie was released. Uh, and the rumor, um, at least from what I've read in most of the reviews of the film, is that they used a body double for her nude scenes because she was underage. Um, not that I would really doubt Lindsay would care, because Lindsay did all kinds of pretty corrupt things when he made his movies, like the animal torture stuff. So um, why not have Ornella be filmed at 16? I don't know. Um, I don't know if we'll ever find out. Um, but the third character in the film is Irene Pappas, who plays Barbara. She was the mother of the priest in Don't Torture a Duckling, but she has a much more uh, active role in this film. The music was written by Bruno La Lauzi. We have a, a new name to add to our Giallo score uh, uh, soundtrack from somebody who we've never heard from before. Um, and as far as we can tell, the soundtrack was never released as its own album or single or anything. That tune that we were talking about, this How Can You Live Your Life, 
um, was recorded by a, a group called the Lions, or I Leone, and another version was sung by Lorenza Visconti, that's the female singer. And um, interesting aside, for anybody who's interested in soundtracks, um, there is a website called Raider of the Lost Ark blogspot.com I will post that on the um, Facebook group so it's not Raiders of the Lost Ark but it's Raider without the S of the Lost Ark blogspot.com if you go to that and you type in Lindsay I don't know how long this has been up there but the guy who put this blog together went through um, Orgasmo and went through Paranoia and recorded all of the music from the film with as little kind of dialogue interfering as possible and released it up on the website. It's kind of like a fan, a, a fan compiled version of these two soundtracks that were never released. Um, and he's got them up there in um, zip files. So you can actually download them and all the MP3s are there. And that's what I used um, last episode for the Orgasmo um, background music. Um, and so there's one up there for Paranoia, which is the one that Creep just um, covered. Now, he doesn't have one, or whoever put this blog together, he doesn't have one for this film, uh, Oasis of Fear. Um, but I just thought that was um, something to let everybody know about. Um, as far as the versions of this film, if you're looking to watch it, if you haven't watched it yet, um, because maybe it's hard to find, there is a shameless DVD that was put out not too long ago that contains probably the best video copy. It also contains a subtitle track of commentary, um, which is interesting in and of itself. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole film with that subtitle commentary on, so I'm sure there's a lot more insight about the film that I don't know about yet because I just haven't watched it with all the commentary on. Um, it is really confusing, just so you know. Like you yes. have to actually know you're watching a commentary subtitle track or else you don't know what the fuck's happening. And right. You get confused. It's, like it's probably, it's what I would suggest is I watched the film all the way through and then immediately turned the film, started the film over, put on the commentary track, uh, subtitle and turned the sound off because watching a film with subtitles, makes you think that you're watching what they're saying um but this was a, a commentary track of of text which confused a lot of stuff so um for people who don't have the dvd or uh, or who can't get it for whatever reason if you go to youtube believe it or not and search for an ideal place to kill the movie is there uh, it's not as good of a copy as the shameless dvd but the whole movie is up there in english the YouTube user's name is Colonel Kurtz. That's K-U-R-T-Z. So if you're searching by username, you'd find it that way. But if you search for an ideal place to kill, you should see it. It should show up as the as the top uh, result in YouTube. So now you can... let me ask you something because this was confusing when I was watching the Shameless version of this. There's like good maybe four or five scenes that um are not dubbed right and there are even a couple that don't even have the subtitles and they seem like pretty fucking important scenes like well, when he's her around the garden 
at night. Yeah. She comes at him with a knife going all Jean-Claude Van Damme, like repeated strokes from different camera angles and shit. Yeah. And um, do you know how many different versions, like do the different titled versions have completely different runtimes? Do you know? Um, I know that there are definitely different versions that have made their way to home video. There was one review of the film that I found on the web where they compared the Shameless version to the, I guess it's a German VHS copy. Um, in, and it even goes so far as to say that the Shameless version has a scene restored that was a lost scene, but that the German, I think it's the German VHS, has some scenes that are missing from Shameless. Um, there's also apparently some sort of a narrative uh, overdub uh, from the main character, Dick, in the very beginning. Like he must have introduced some sort of, he must have, there must have been a few lines that kind of made it seem like he was introducing the film to the, as, the, as the main character. And that's not in the Shameless version either. Um, but, uh, yeah, the um, there is a scene though that, and it's confusing, where they meet up with the motorcycle guy and he speaks Italian, um, but Dick uh, seems to understand him, even though he only speaks English. And there's no subtitles when that guy's talking, so you have no idea what he's talking about. Um, and I don't know if that was done on purpose because you're not really supposed to know what he's saying uh, directly. You're supposed to kind of think about it from. Dick's interpretation of what he's saying, but uh, but there's also that scene where um, Barbara's on the phone with the cops, and she's speaking in Italian, and he knows that what she's saying, but that's subtitled. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I don't know. It's uh, confusing. Yeah, I mean, I think that it seems. It, I mean, my guess is that this film probably didn't get that much popularity and then it became one of these kind of lost classics and you know when shameless acquired the rights to it they really hyped it up as you know Lindsay's lost classic and it's really you know it was definitely lost and it definitely follows the the formula that he put out for all of his other sexy thriller uh from the late 60s but it's certainly not a classic i don't think um but let's get into what this film is about because um, we talked a lot about um, the meta of this film, but let's talk about the film itself. Um, the so feta. It, 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 <laughs> yeah, the feta. It, it, it turns out that our two main characters, Dick and Ingrid, uh, have decided that they're going to, quote, bring the gospel of sexual freedom to darkest Italy. Um, and they do that by starting out in Copenhagen in Denmark and going and buying up all the pornography that they can get their hands on. Um, and once they've kind of bought the shop of pornography, and interestingly enough, some of the pornography is audio pornography on 45 vinyl, 45 RPM vinyl. Um, so fucking cool. And... <laughs> Uh, eventually, so, so they basically drive from um, Denmark to Italy, and I was like, well, this is unrealistic. <clears throat> There's no way they could do that, but I mapped it out, because I don't know Europe 
at all. I've never been there and I don't know. It seems like everybody in Europe drives everywhere to everywhere else in Europe because um, everything's connected. But it turns out that you can drive from Denmark, in Copenhagen, Denmark, to Florence, which I think is where they went because that's where Michelangelo's David statue is, um, in about 17 hours. So they probably just went on a road trip, you know, and then within a couple of days they made their way into Italy. And so they, they go through the border of Italy and they start um, targeting various um, groups of people and selling pornography to them. Um, one of the more interesting or kind of odd scenes was when they sold the pornography to what looked to be an older woman who was in the middle of like, the, the, the commentary that I read, and I didn't read the, that much into it, but the commentary I read was that naked sculpture is just a highbrow version of pornography. And so Lindsay was making a commentary about how all these elitist people were looking at the statue of David. And then this one woman was instead looking at the pornography that she bought from, from Ingrid. And then she makes the sign of the cross after she looks at it. And so it's It's like weird comment the whole thing was like they were there waiting for all these old ladies to get all moist staring at the statues and then go right. oh you want the next step up here you go it was <laughs> right. so gross it was so gross yeah, it was and, and and then of course the, the next thing that happens is <clears throat> ingrid decides that she's going to tempt this uh giant tennis player um into thinking that he's going to get a piece from her but then eventually after he gives her all her money she just takes out a magazine and hands it to him and like i don't know that that would go over very well it's kind of like you know do you do you really think that that would be the natural reaction oh here's all the money i thought i was going to get real a real piece of piece of ass but i'll just take this magazine instead that's no problem so um at any rate they managed to sell all their pornography this one guy decides that he wants to buy all of their audio um, sex tapes, which I don't even know if this thing exists anymore, but it looked like some side, some sort of a sideways toaster that you could put your album into and play it, or your so forty-five single. Cool. Wasn't that cool? I'd love to find one of those. So fucking cool. But it just reminded me of the whole like New York Ripper thing, yeah. where the guy like um, record audio of people having sex and stuff. Yes. Yeah, because in that movie, he just had all those micro cassettes. He like had a whole drawer full of them. Yeah. So, um, so now, and, and again, understand that these two are pretty dumb. Um, they act dumb and they, they, they act dumb on purpose. It's like their whole kind of philosophy on life is to say like, who cares about anything? Let's just do whatever we want, free love and and money and whatever and so they make all this money and they decide that they're gonna blow it on this gigantic dinner and they're gonna <clears throat> they're gonna go to the disco and they're gonna give they're gonna put lira on a kite and give it to some kid with balloons and they're gonna try to get the, the doves drunk in the middle of this big bourgeois restaurant and then eventually they get kicked out and um, they're out of money and there's this weird scene with the with the motorcycle guy that I really didn't understand and then he comes back into the movie later on but I still didn't understand it that that well um, but eventually they find themselves without any money and without any gas and they break down right in front of this house uh, and that's where kind of the, the first act of this film ends and up until this point the film was very 
fast paced, moved very well. Um, the, the two characters, this Dick and Ingrid, um, personally, I didn't find them sympathetic at all. I did not like them. I thought they were annoying. And I also thought that they were like assholes. So <clears throat> yeah. I wasn't rooting for them at all. Um, but meanwhile, regardless of whether you liked them or you didn't, you have to admit that that part of the, the film moved pretty fast and it was interesting to watch what they were up to. Um, Cause it was really like the first, the first act was almost all montages. It was just like one scene to the next, to the next, to the next without much dialogue. So they finally get to this oasis, they call it. And it's this giant kind of one level rancher type mansion. Um, that they just happen to break down in front of and they go to see if they can get some help um, And they they're introduced to the Irene Pappas character the barber character and she's introduced as this weird kind of mentally unstable woman and um, The next thing that happens is we have that classic Lindsay setup where we've got these three people in this one location that are involved in drinking and sexual kind of weird um sex games and playful kinds of things and um but nobody knows what anybody's motives really are um and you know the barbara character is talking about how her husband will be home at any moment but he never shows up and then eventually they have this party and um uh uh what's her name uh uh, Ingrid, she decides to dress up in this Indian costume and dance this weird, like, sitar music that uses the same theme as the as the opening theme. And um, eventually, uh, I think what happens next is that Dick decides that he's going to sneak in, or or Barbara is going to pull Dick into her room and, and give him oral, and they have sex. <clears throat> and I don't know if if they lock. Which was launched. It was it was very raunchy, and I mean, you know, uh, out of nowhere. I think that uh, I think that Lindsay did a really good job with setting up um, these shots, but I think a lot of the credit is given to the um, cinematographer for this particular film. When you read the reviews, um, just the way that some of these shots were framed, um, some of the ways you know, some of the ways that the camera movements were were set up um, was credited more to the cinematographer. Um, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, but eventually, um, we, we start to learn that um, Barbara, who is the, the woman who lives in this large house, is really up to something. And she's trying to, she's, we, we're not exactly sure what she's up to, but she starts planting things and moving things around and kind of organizing things in the house to make, make it look like something has changed. And you really don't know yet, as you're watching this, what's going on. Um, but, uh, basically, like I said, we have this classic Lindsay thing where there's this, there's this long, um, kind of drawn out segment of these three people who are kind of, they're not really trapped in the house together, but they kind of are because, um, the hippie kids really can't leave without gas and they don't want the woman to leave because they start to figure out that she's up to something and eventually they find a body in the trunk of the other car of the of the rolls or whatever it was that what she had and um, they realize now that they're trying that barbara is trying to frame the hippies for the murder of this guy 
and it turns out that it's her husband. <clears throat> now there's another guy in on it. I guess it's her lover. They didn't really explain that part too much. Lawyer, but yeah, um, lover slash lawyer, I think. And it's the same kind of thing that we've been seeing over and over again in these films, which is there's some money to be had. As long as somebody dies, somebody else will get the money. And in this particular case, um, Barbara, as they explain at the end of the movie, is really the sole heir to the fortune of this husband who, I guess he's some sort of a colonel and he works for NATO and he's involved in the military. Um, but at some point or another, um, some outside people start to come in f and, and, and investigate to see what's going on. And the mil these, these, um, these military kind of representatives come out to find out what's going on because there was a hit and run on the base and they're checking all the cars. And meanwhile, Ingrid is pretending to be the au pair and um, she distracts them from finding the body by pretending to faint because she's pregnant or something like that. Um, but meanwhile, Dick leaves to go I'm not exactly sure where he goes, but he runs into the he motorcycle guy again. Oh, he went to buy paint. That's right. He went to buy black paint, um, which I think probably one of the funniest scenes in this whole film is them painting the car. Yeah. It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. They're just using like house paint to paint this car from yellow to black. And, um, and then when she goes back to look for the gun, the car is back to its normal color with all the flowers on it. Is it did that happen or did I miss that? Is that was that some sort of in, inconsistency? Yeah, it was a total fuck up. Okay. Continuity. Okay, I have to go back and watch that because I totally missed it. I was kind of half paying attention at that point when I was watching it, but um, so um, the, the kids find out. They figure all her shit out, but they're still kind of too stupid to care. Like they don't realize. And again, this is part of the commentary of what, when you read opinions on this film, it was like, well, what was Lindsay trying to do here? Um, the commentary is that, you know, here's, here are these free loving kind of hippie um, cares to the wind kind of people, but because of their lifestyle, they'll always have this negative connotation. They'll always have this, this, this uh, stereotypical bad, um, bad characteristics associated with them. And so this Barbara character who is in the, you know, who is in the bourgeois and she's got the money and she's got the husband and everything, <clears throat> despite the fact that she's really corrupt and evil and a murderer, um, she gets the benefit of the doubt because of her reputation. Um, so ultimately, the kids just decide that they're going to leave because I think what they give her some sleeping pills and they find the gun and they put her hand on the gun so that, you know, she'll be incriminated. Um, and they split in this newly painted yellow, not yellow anymore car. And after they leave, um, the authorities come and um, Barbara tells the story the way she wants everybody to hear it. And meanwhile, they're flashing back to what really happened. And it had something to do with her wanting to adopt a child, but I don't know if they even made that part of it up for the story. Um, it seems like they made it up. Yeah. So ultimately, she shot her husband, and this other guy is in on it for some reason, but um, they never really resolve any of that. They basically just kind of let you know that she really was the guilty one, and you kind of knew that from the start because she was hiding the body in the first place. So 
But here's the thing that's different about this film compared to all the other ones is that I wanted her to get away with it because I hated those two kids. Like I wanted them to get framed for it because they were stupid. Like they were like they were annoying and you know, and maybe that was what Lindsay was going for, I don't know. But um, ultimately they decide to leave. They don't realize that the cops have come and that they believe Barbara's story and then they start to the cops put out, you know, in all points to find these two kids because they're already wanted for pornography selling. They obviously are murderers too. because um, of course pornography leads to murder. And yeah. um, eventually they're seen like three hours from crossing the border and they decide to go for a swim. And that was really kind of my favorite part of the film when they're when they're just about to escape and they decide um, to go for a swim and then they come back from the swim and um, they have a news bulletin that's basically saying that they're being you know they're being searched they're, they're looking for the the two of them because they're wanted for a murder and um, at the end I was hoping that there was gonna be another double cross that we would get at the last second like maybe Dick and Barbara were in on it and the reason why he turned off the newscast was because he was going to do something to frame Ingrid and make her take the fall, and then he would end up with Barbara. Yeah. Uh, that, I thought, would have been a cool little twist, but that's not what happened. They only had two minutes left, and Lindsay just decided that he was going to have another spectacular car crash, and they all die at the end. And uh, Except for it. Barbara. Except for Barbara, she just totally gets away with it, completely. I can't believe it. That was like the biggest shock. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I, I was trying to think of another movie where the killer just gets off scot-free without any fucking... Well, if you remember the end of House with the Laughing Windows, the guy who finally figures out that the priest and the nuns are the, the killers. Sorry to spoil it for anybody who hasn't listened to that episode. Um, they capture him. And then the film ends, and there's kind of like a hint that there's some sirens uh, noise in the background, like maybe yeah. the cops are coming, but they never really show any of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is really the one where Len Lindsay, you know, you got to give him credit for kind of coming up with different types of of endings, like in or in um, in So Sweet So Dead. Um, the uh, the the uh, the Carol Baker character gets away with it. But the detective is, you know, is on her tail and awesome. she's going to be looking over her shoulder for the rest of her life kind of thing. But with this one, they never even go back to Barbara. They, she basically explains like, okay, this is what happened. And um, they never really hint that there's going to be any more um, investigation into this. They just figure that the kids did it and they're going after the kids and the kids die. I couldn't believe it. That's the end. Like, so, I fucking gasped out loud. I could not fucking believe it. When, when, it, like, when the credits started pulling up, I said, bull fucking shit. <laughs> fucking you were mad. <laughs> I, just, I didn't want any of them to get away with anything. I hated it. Like, that's the thing about this movie. Like, I hated them so much, but I fucking didn't like her at all either. Right. You know? I mean, if I had to pick, I'd pick her over the over the other one because at least she was kind of like, she wasn't super annoying at least. They, they I mean, he, he, the the dude who played uh, Dick, he was just, he was so hard to watch because he was he's just a cock. Yeah, 
dick's a cock. <laughs> he was a dick, man. He really was. Here's the thing with me. It's like, I've realized that I really just don't like hippies. I don't like dirty, smelly <laughs> fucking... And listen to me be a jerk about it. But here's the thing. Um, I didn't fucking like... Uh, uh, lizard and woman's skin. I didn't like fucking um, the hippie sh- shit with fucking all the colors of the dark. I didn't like um, four flies on gray velvet. And for some reason, the beginning of this movie felt so much like four flies, like the first like twenty minutes of this. Mm. And. <clears throat> um, I agree. See, it reminded me more like of Lizard of, in a Woman's Skin than it did Four Flies because of the, just because of the swinging. I mean, I mean that's like an authentic Austin Powers car that they're driving around in. I mean, it's no bullshit. Yeah. It's, I think, I think he just reminded me too much of um, the guy from, <clears throat> from Four Flies. Oh, okay. But, but some of the th- things that are interesting here is that the Dick and Ingrid are kind of like mirror images at an earlier stage from the two people in Orgasmo. Right. Not Baker, but the brother and sister that are right. really not brother and sister. Right. Like, it's like same kind of person. But with the time of this movie, what year was this? This was... 71. 71. So you have this whole, like, the hippie movement, the counterculture. You have Altamont. You have the Summer of Love ending. You have Manson. You have all this shit. And, like, I feel like one of the things getting at here was these, like, kids that had, like, total open minds and were ready to love everything were being shit on by society so much that society and them into the scapegoat, but has turned them into the murderers. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like yep. these people who used to be like all free love are now the Manson family going around killing people and shit. And it's like, I felt that way with um, lizard and woman's skin. I felt that way with all the colors of the dark and it's like, I guess I've just seen that enough now yeah. that I'm over it. Yeah. But like, as soon as like these annoying characters come in and start talking about free love and all this other shit, I'm like so checked out. I'm like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> somebody just put a bullet in these fucking idiots' fucking heads. I'm too much of a cynic to give two shits about characters like that. So I was like totally turned off by this whole movie until um, I, th- I think it had to have been it, it had to have been when the people from the military came by and that whole scene with Ingrid like the suspense started building right and from that point on this movie is so fucking suspenseful right it is just like you're on the edge of your seat you're fucking like your heartbeat's racing your breath is getting short and shallow and shit and it's like 
I couldn't believe that I was giving two shits about <laughs> right. the special shit that happened in this movie at that point. Because the first half of this movie, I would burn in right. a fiery pit of hell. Yeah. It's just how I feel about it. <laughs> but, dude, halfway through, this movie fucking kicks it up. And I the ending, like, just floored me. I could not fucking believe that that fucking chick got away with it. And everything they did. They're like, okay, we got to put her prints on the gun. We we got to bury this body now. I don't know why they didn't just give her enough pills to kill her, but they're not right. killers. Yeah, right, That's exactly. the whole. Thing. They're not killers, right? Oh. Exactly. Oh, but, but it, I mean, I guess it was really fun. it was really to drive the point home that you know the, at that particular time society really didn't have a positive view of the free love hippie movement, and and it was a common I guess it was a commentary on that because basically Lindsay created these characters who you know you really didn't like that much they were kind of annoying but um they were kind of innocent they weren't they weren't people who were going out and robbing they they bought the pornography and they sold it all and then when they ran out of money they decided that they were going to make more pornography with their own bodies they didn't go and steal the money but then you know again like the first act of this movie moves pretty fast but like i said it's all just montage and then the middle part is this whole kind of suspenseful we're all in one location bizarre triangle thing happening and then like you said the third act is when you know the the police show up for the first time um and and then things just start to kind of pick up the pace again so um but yeah i think it is it's it's a like seriously like if you haven't seen this it's a good watch just to see how a movie could go from one movie to another movie at the drop of a hat because like when, when they're like i don't know what it is but when people are dancing in their living room and they're like hey let's have a party in the living room i'm gonna go upstairs and change and then i'll be back here in front of you two again and i'll be dancing like as soon as someone does that, I want to punch him in the face. Like I don't know why that drives me crazy so much, but that happens in a lot of these movies. And well, they as soon that, as that happened, they did that in Bay of Blood too, and it was just like kind of awkward when they broke know, into the guy's I, house and they start playing that music and they're just dancing around. It's one thing to just dance in a house, but it's another thing if you're already in the house to go change <laughs> and come back for the party that everyone's already there. Right. It's just like that's like that's he's taking it way too far. Yeah. And that's where I just like I put my foot down and say <laughs> bullshit on this and your shitty fucking life. But the fact that that movie did that got me so fucking irritated and then flipped the switch on me and got me so invested. I I can't believe it. Like I, I don't think I've ever been that non-interested in a movie and then that invested right. in this movie. It's, it's just, it's phenomenal. And, and you, I'm probably were you talking rooting about for one side or the other side, or were you just invested because it was, a, it was a good story? Like, you just wanted to see what happened. The thing that I thought was great about the story was that we never fucking really knew what... Barbara's shit was until the very end and even then you're not sure if that's even real right 
but like I, and I trying to think of another like a murder going on and a actually have no fucking concept at all as to why or what or anything like it's just like the viewer is just as much in the outs as the two characters are right and is that partly because when she goes to explain the the thing that i thought was really well done was she's going to explain what she wants the truth to be perceived as by the authorities and while she's telling that story they show what really happened and it kind of confuses everything like you're not you're not sure if you know that you have a lot more like questions you know that she killed him but like did she kill him just because she wanted to be with the lawyer guy or did she kill him because she wanted kids and he wouldn't give her kids or she was going to ask him about adoption, but she knew he would say no. Or if that was just all like a smoke screen for the cops, because right. it probably yeah, was, was just all made up. she been dead so she could be with the lawyer. But the fact that the whole time you're going, okay, she's acting really weird. The first time we see her, she's on the phone with the guy and she's like, there's people knocking on the door. He's like, don't fucking do anything. Just meet me where we're supposed to meet later. Right. Maybe she had then, just, she had probably just recently shot him. Yeah. Like when they showed so, up. So she was still freaked you know, out about it. And the thing that tripped me out that I didn't really understand was she threw keys in the pool. And I thought those were their car keys. Yeah, but then they found them. But then, but then they drove off. Were they car keys or were they keys to the... No, it was the, it was the keys to the... Um, I thought it was the keys to the yellow car. But then I remember hearing... I I remember hearing one of the policemen say, yeah, we found their keys in the pool. <gasps> oh, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember it was like, yeah, they, they're the, they were the ones who were here and they, they're wanted for selling pornography and we found their keys in the pool. And so that was enough evidence for them to go after them. But if they found their keys in the pool, how do they? How do they get? How do they start the car and leave? Maybe you don't need keys for that old of a car. I don't know. And <laughs> why the fuck would you have keys? Why would you have them then? <laughs> and then how would they know that they were their keys? Right. Yeah, I that don't know. Whole, that was the weird part for me. But like the whole like them digging the grave and the dog coming out and the shit where he jumps out the window and off the roof and then they have the fight in the fucking um, greenhouse or whatever. Just like every fucking thing that happened (laughs) was and like I know they didn't want to leave until they could find the gun so they could wipe his prints off of it and that made sense to me. But then like just like that whole thing like he was going to start burning her with cigarettes and he couldn't even do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Much they wanted to make them murderers. They couldn't be murderers, but they were moving bodies, which was just weird. Right. And then it's like everything they did at the end of the day was for nothing. <laughs> like moving the body. Like, cause she just said, yeah, that they did that because of this. Oh, and then he raped me. Right. Oh, geez. He raped her. Okay. Well, good God, man. Like, they must have done it because they were selling pornography. You know, it's right. just like... And she could prove oh. that they had sex, 
because they did so just everything like i just i and then when they wanted to go swimming i thought oh this is going to be a thing where they're going to find the car but then they're going to swim to that island over there and just live on the island all blue lagoon style <laughs> and everything that would be great I still wanted I still wanted another double cross to happen where either Barbara gets caught or well, but he the, turned the radio off. I thought that's that was coming. Like right. something was gonna. That's but what then I thought. It too. was just so comical that like the, they're like, oh, I see people like seven hundred yards away in the water. It has to be them. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we just stay here and not do anything until they decide to leave? Yeah, we'll just like, we'll just set up a roadblock. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. I love. So I mean, I I liked. I just doing these four movies together has been really cool. As much as I hated Dick and hated Barbara, and felt weird watching a sixteen-year-old, like the movie got good and i think the movie was the at least the last part of the movie was written really good the whole crime barbara's crime and how that was exposed scene by scene was really clever i thought yeah but yep that's that yeah i think you're right i mean um i definitely need to watch that one again i watched it um quickly today because i knew we were going to be talking about it today and i wanted to make sure that i had at least watched it once but it deserves a second viewing um definitely paranoia is better i think i like it more than uh than this one um and overall i think that if we're comparing all of the four Lindsay films because really the next film that Lindsay made after this is blood seven bloodstained orchids which is completely different he just, I think it, at some point he must have decided, you know what, if I can't beat him, I'm going to join him. I'm going to make a film with a black glove killer and a weird um, clue and a whole bunch of like female victims. And, um, you know. And then uh, was it, when was Spasmo? And then also then Knife of Ice came after that. And then, and then Sp- Eyeball and then Spasmo? No, Spasmo and then Eyeball was the last one. Um, cause the eyeball is 75. So like he yeah. did these four in a row and I guess, you know, it, I, I don't really know the, the details of how popular they were and how much money he made from these films. But, um, you know, he was right. He was right on the cusp of this whole genre becoming popular, but he kind of started early and decided, you know, I'm going to approach it from the sexy thriller angle and not the killer with the with the black gloves on um there is a scene i think i think there's a scene in so sweet so perverse where um klaus the guy who's really the threatening male character he's wearing black gloves right so um you know i guess he kind of knew that there were there's some um of these tropes were getting started that he wanted to, to use and especially the J and B thing in orgasmo that was kind of like used to death. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things though here is that each ending to each of these four movies was completely different. Yeah. And um, 
like I just oh I think the endings to all four of these like you could put them up like one at a time and just be like blown away by them I can't believe fucking Barbara got away I can't fucking believe it it's still bothering me dude <laughs> well like in Orgasmo everybody gets caught or is or gets killed and so sweet so perverse um it's that situation where she's on the run and you know she's uh, she hasn't been caught but she's probably going to get caught eventually yeah. and in paranoia they kind of are going to get caught because they find uh, Constance's body but then in this one um, yeah and, and again the, the the whole idea or the, the most of the commentary that I read on this last film is that it was supposed to be it was done this way to 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 kind of shed light on the the stereotype that was that was how people were viewing the hippie movement in that you know they they're because of their their outward appearance and their behavior they're just kind of automatically viewed as corrupt and um i agree and and meanwhile the real corruption was the people who were hiding it from plain view, uh, the people with money and the people who were really the, the ones who um, were d deserve the, the criticism. And so I think that's what everyone, everyone that I read who's written commentary on this says that's what Lindsay was trying to do. He was trying to show uh, kind of what the what what the state of of the of, of society and the culture was like and, and as it was a war between the classes basically you know at that particular well, spot on i guess good but job it, mr Lent. it could also just be about porno so yeah dirty pictures well yeah. i like the dirty pictures title way better as far so as that's the just my yeah, yeah, that's um, that's definitely probably the best uh, title for this because it just it, it comes into play a lot. But and they didn't really do anything with the um, the pictures and the pornography after they got to the middle part. You know, it just turned into a completely different film. But um, as far as Jalo score is concerned. Um, both of these films uh, score pretty low. What's that? As far as the Jalo score is concerned. Um, oh yeah, what were their scores? So, uh, let's see here. A Quiet Place to Kill. Um, that one got a 30, a 38. Oh, that's awful. And um, this one, an ideal place to kill, got a forty-six. <clears throat> and quiet place to kill lost a lot of points. Um, there was only four out of ten points given to these signatures, um, but it lost a lot of points in the fact that um, you know there, it doesn't follow the classic Jalo formula, so. Um, the um, 
one of the main uh, points is the black gloves and that the killer's identity is hidden. Um, and it really isn't. You kind of know, you don't know who's in bed with who, quote unquote, but you kind of know who the players are and you know who's doing, you know, who, who's responsible for the corruption or for the, for the bad deeds. It's kind of one of these three. It's not really a hidden situation. There's no amateur detective and at the end of Paranoia, um, it looks as if they're going to be captured. And so you don't get really points for that. The, the police are gonna kind of take care of this. Um, meanwhile, um, a quiet place, to, no, an ideal place to kill, <laughs> which is Oasis of Fear, got a little bit more um, points because there were some some interesting things that uh, that were done that kind of aligned it with the, the the films that were to come. Like there's a flashback at the end um, when they are explaining what's going on. Um, there's an accomplice. There's some nude scenes. Uh, I could probably give it some more points for an urban location, although it wasn't urban the whole time. So let's put it. Let's do that. So it, let's give it a 50 instead of a 46. Okay, I can deal with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it totally makes sense. When you look at Lindsay and the time period and what he was doing and the kind of formula that he was following, which is different than what Argento and, and Bavo decided that they wanted to do at that time period, you can see why the scores are low. Um, and, and really, you know, because the, the Giallo score is really kind of favors the the classic formula with the black glove. And color, did, so, did you ever? Um, what about Riz? What's going on with that? Oh, so yeah. So we asked the question to the group, and everybody uh, decided that the best thing to do would be to add Riz as a um, third uh, sub. A, 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 a third category of that musician or that composer criteria. So if the film, if the film score is composed by Morricone or Bruno Nicolai or Riz, then it will get three points. And um, I haven't implemented that yet, but um, based on everybody's responses, uh, that's going to be done. So um, the, the site, unfortunately, I, I feel kind of like a bum, but you know these two films that we talked about i haven't put them up on the site yet and i also haven't readjusted the scores for for riz um so i have a lot of stuff to do on the site before um we talk again and hopefully i'll get all that done um hey though. i'm telling you man just been lazy very lazy playing a lot of uh playing a lot of we my my son saved up his money and we bought a Wii U and uh, I play like Mario Kart and uh, we I play it like I think I probably play it more than he does because he's not allowed to play it during the week because he's got you know he's seven and we're like okay well you know you're not allowed to play this during the week you got school to go to and then when the weekend comes he plays it but so I've been doing that <laughs> instead of watching movies but um I'll get back to it. Yeah, it's it's, well, it's so. So Chris and I have been enjoying this two feature thing 
Have we not? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. It, it, it puts a little bit more pressure on, um, on us as we get closer and closer to the Tuesday, but I like having the pressure because it makes me work a little harder. So It's good. I'm enjoying it. So the next episode we're going to do, we're going to do another double feature, but this one isn't going to be how the Lindsay ones have been. It's going to be a little more bloodstained. Mm. What does that mean, sir? Uh, well, let's see. I, my guess would be that uh, the films that we're going to cover have uh, the word bloodstained in them. And, yeah, yeah. You, you know, we've already done seven bloodstained orchids, so it's certainly not going to be that film. Um, nope. Since we're not on a redemption tour yet. Um, so we're going to cover the the bloodstained butterfly and uh, the bloodstained shadow. Butterfly. Yes, the bloodstained blood butter, butter dish. A butter <laughs> face. <laughs> so, um, but you got excited because we're getting our black gloves back on. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for some, for some, you know, faceless serial murderer stalking females. And I know that uh, in these two films, we have a little bit of that. So, and no Carol Baker, so we could use a break from her, too. What do you mean? <laughs> Carol Baker is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, dude. I, I love her so much, but I'm so glad to not have to sit through another movie of hers for a while. Yeah, and, you know, she's almost kind of like the unsung queen of the, of the Jalo, because, you know, when you talk about... You know the the Jalo scream queens. You always talk about Edwidge, oh, yeah. and you talk about uh, Barbara Boucher, but um, and, and uh, uh, whatever her name was, the girl with the fake oh. boobs, Anita Strangeberger. But yeah. but uh, Carol Baker, she was in three That's of hard. them, like four of them or five of them. So you know, yeah, because if you count like. Um, Shit, she's been in a ton because, like, the Devil with Seven Faces and um, Sweet Body of Deborah and Fuck, the Knife of Ice. She was in Knife of Ice. She's she's. There's a couple more too. Off the top of my head, I can't think of them. But um, but yeah, dude, like she's been in a ton, and she's the exact same fucking character in every fucking one. Yeah, except for Knife of Ice, she doesn't talk. Which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was like her best role. Oh, so yeah. So anyhow, um, we'll we'll get on that. And um, is that it? Yeah. Like us on, or join like our Facebook group. Give us a review on iTunes. Um, fried chicken is yummy. <laughs> uh, what else to say? Yeah, I think you covered it. The Facebook group, the podcast website, iTunes. Um, you'll find emails to contact us on the pod podcast website. You'll find archives. Jalochowchow.com. Jalochowchow.com and Jalochowchow.com for all the latest. Well, not latest, because as I just explained, I'm behind by a couple movies, but almost. Fucking <laughs> 
uh yeah and we thank everybody for listening we know we, we've gotten a lot uh i think i i think i approved maybe f- somewhere between five and seven new people on the group yeah, within yeah. the last week or so so um happy to keep getting I've been people completely absent from facebook the last two weeks yeah it's okay it's, it's good to take a break from that yeah <clears throat> all right well everybody so until next time ciao 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 ciao